the most uh, well-known, famous scholars of Hadith are Imam al-Bukhari and Imam Muslim. Well, Hamid has asked me today to speak about uh, the place of these two in Islam and unfortunately and some of the areas I'll go through uh, rather quickly. Let me just point out by saying that of course Imam Bukhari al-Bukhari wa Imam Muslim at the time they were living they were considered perhaps the greatest scholars of Hadith at that time. Imam al-Bukhari for example from the time that he was young uh, he was known for his knowledge, for his memory. One time when he was 11 years old, uh, he was listening to one of the shaykh of hadith reading, uh, narrating some hadith, and he corrected the sheikh. The sheikh was a little bit surprised why this young, uh, <laughs> uh, young man was correcting him. He said, what's, uh, to put it in English, he told him, what's your problem? That's for you, Mikhail. So, the Imam al-Bukhari, the young Imam al-Bukhari, told him that you made a mistake in the narration of this hadith. In the chain you made a mistake. You mixed uh, two narrators. And of course the Sheikh was a little bit uh, surprised by the, actually, the brashness of the Shema. So Imam al-Bukhari told him that if you have the, the book with you or the, rec- the recorded, uh, so the original, then go back and look at it. So the Sheikh went to his house and looked at it and he found that uh, Imam al-Bukhari was correct. Also, Imam al-Bukhari was tested by many scholars and his youth to see uh, if in fact he was uh, uh, proficient in hadith. When he first came to uh, Baghdad, young man, at that time the scholars of hadith when they were young they traveled through, throughout the Muslim world collecting hadith from different uh, scholars and then they settle in an area and they teach the, the hadith that they know. So when he came to Baghdad, he was well known already, and the scholars of Hadith there decided to test, decided to test him. So in a public gathering, ten, ten scholars from Baghdad, each one of them read ten Hadith to Imam al-Bukhari. And after each Hadith that they read to al-Bukhari, he said, I don't know this Hadith, I don't know this Hadith. Well, the people, yani, they start thinking that, well, maybe this person isn't uh, what he was advertised to be. So after they were finished reading, and what they did is they were testing by Al-Bukhari by giving the hadith with the wrong isnad. And they would, they would say the hadith with the wrong isnad. So Al-Bukhari said, I don't know this hadith. Uh, this not is the, the chain of uh, transmitters. So when they were finished, 10 scholars narrating 10 hadith, that's 100 hadith. When they're all finished and he said, I don't know to all of them, he told them, I will tell you the hadith that I know. So he gave, he read back all 100 hadith with the correct isnad. So the scholars uh, of Baghdad, they knew that, uh, and he knows what he's uh, talking about. Well, Imam Muslim also, we can give some of the same stories about uh, Imam Muslim, but we will not do to my claim that uh, uh, I want to catch. With respect to uh, Imam al-Bukhari, he said that I have memorized 100,000 hadith which are authentic and 100,000 hadith which are not authentic. Now you have to keep in mind that the scholars of hadith, they count hadith not by the statements of the Prophet but they count hadith by the ismat or the, by the different chains. So when uh, Imam al-Bukhari said that I, I memorized 100,000 authentic hadith, it doesn't mean 100,000 different statements of the Prophet 
but it means 100,000 uh, hadith with different isnads. And also, uh, Imam Muslim, he said that the, his collection, Sahih Muslim, was gathered from 300,000 hadith that he had, uh, he had heard. The reason I mentioned that point is because when we talk about Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim, we should, we should not think about it as someone collecting some hadith and these are the hadith that he found and he put it into a book. And this is not the nature of uh, Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim. What it is, in fact, is two scholars who knew many hadith. And from those many hadith, they chose just a few, yani the top, the epitome of those hadith, and put it into a collection. As I said, the Al-Bukhari said he knew 100,000 hadith which are authentic. If you go to Sahih Bukhari, even if you count the hadith with repetitions, there's only about 7,000 hadith. So what he is doing is he's taking the, the cream of the crop, as, as you think. So he's not just someone gathering hadith together and he found like 3,000 authentic hadith and he recorded all 3,000 or 7,000 in the book. But he knew many, many authentic hadith and he's just taking from uh, the top level. As he said himself, he said that everything I have included in, in this book, Jama'ah, is authentic and what I have not included of authentic hadith is much more. Well, another occasion he said, if it were not yani, to make the book too long, I would have recorded many other hadiths. Well, also, Imam Muslim, the same, the same situation. If you go to uh, Kitab Salat, the book of prayer in, uh, in uh, Sahih Muslim, the chapter on Tashahud, uh, there is a hadith in there, after which the Imam Muslim recorded the hadith, and then he recorded one of his students asking him, what about the hadith of Abu Huraira? It says that when the, when the Imam recites the Qur'an, you should be silent. So Imam Muslim said that, I, I believe that that hadith is authentic, and in my opinion that hadith is authentic, but I do not include all of the authentic hadith in this book. But I'm only including those hadith which there is agreement upon that they are authentic. So again, we're talking about I someone scholar of hadith just taking the cream of the crop, the best hadith that he knows, and, uh, and putting it into uh, a collection. In fact, the title of uh, Al-Bukhari's uh, uh, collection points that out. The name of the book actually is Al-Jama' Al-Sahih Al-Musnad Al-Mukhtasr Min Amur Rasulullahi Wa Sunnanihi Wa Ayyamihi Al-Mukhtasr means he is just, uh, it's an abridgment, it's not all the authentic hadith but he is just choosing the, the best that he knows. And as I said, or as I alluded to, it is not even just the hadith that Al-Bukhari thinks is authentic and that Imam Muslim thinks are authentic. But these are hadith that all of the scholars of hadith at that time agreed upon. Al-Imam Al-Bukhari, he took his book to four uh, scholars, to more than four scholars, including uh, Ahmed ibn Hanbal, the teacher, Yahya ibn Ma'in, also the teacher, and uh, Ibn Abu Shayda, and Ali ibn al-Madini, and other scholars. He took his book, Sahih bukhari to all these scholars, and they agreed on all of the hadith in Sahih bukhari except for four hadith. Well, it's not clear whether he deleted those, uh, those four hadith or not. But yani, the point is that he took it to these great scholars of hadith, and they all agreed with him that these, all of these hadith are in this book are are authentic. 
And when we say that the others, there's four hadith that they did not agree with him on, this might mean they didn't agree with the, the exact chain that, that he used, which is something that uh, we might uh, get into uh, in a few minutes. Also, uh, Imam Muslim, as I said, he only recorded those hadith that the scholars were agreed upon are correct. In other words, he only included the hadith that Ahmed bin Hanbal, Sa'id ibn Mansur, uh, ibn Abi Shaiba, and scholars like that agreed with. And he took his book, Sahih Muslim, to Abu Zura, and I just took a book uh, from Muhammad Tukan about Abu Zura. He's one of the greatest scholars in hadith, especially when it comes to defects in hadith, the topic of ilm. Well, Alil is one of the most difficult topics in, in hadith, and it is, uh, it is referring to hidden defects in the hadith. Defects that you cannot see unless you gather together all the chains of a specific hadith and study it very closely, and then you can find uh, some hidden defects. So, Imam Muslim, he took his book to uh, Abu Zura'ah, and he told Abu Zura'ah to go over the book in any, bo- any hadith, that Abu Zura'a had any question about, then he just deleted it from the book. And not because he didn't consider it authentic necessarily, but because he wanted to make sure that the, uh, the book is above any, any question. Also with respect to uh, Sahir Bukhari, Imam al-Bukhari finished, uh, it took him about 16 years to write Sahir Bukhari. And it took Imam Muslim about 15 years to write Sahir Bukhari. With respect to Imam al-Bukhari, before he put any hadith into Sahih al-Bukhari, he used to make wudu and make salat al-Istikhara before entering any hadith into his, uh, into his collection. And he finished his book many years before his death. So he read his book to 9,000 of his students, I mean the entire Sahih al-Bukhari. And this is a, a period, and it was many years. And this, this long period, also was an opportunity for if there's any mistakes in Sahih Bukhari. He has, he's reading it to 9,000 students, some of them younger than him, some of them older than him, some of them his shiuch, his, his teachers. So this gave a, a chance that if there's any mistakes still present in Sahih Bukhari, that they will be able to point it out and, uh, and notice it. What we, uh, what we conclude with concerning the Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim, and as I said, I'm kind of jumping quickly, going quickly, is that, as I said, these are not and in just some collections that Imam Bukhari, for example, found 7,000 hadith and he put them in, in his collection. No. He knew a much larger number, but his purpose was to make a collection concerning which there was no doubt about it that all of these hadith are authentic. In other words, the scholars of hadith at that time were agreed upon that these hadith are authentic. And that brings us to what's the, uh, what's the position of the Muslim towards the hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari and Sahih Muslim. First of all, all of the scholars are agreed that all of the, all of the early scholars are agreed that all of the hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari and Sahih Muslim are authentic. Uh, Ibn al-Salah in his book, Al-Muqaddamah fi Ulum al-Hadith, he said that the, there is ijma' or consensus that all of the, all of the hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari and Sahih Muslim are authentic except for a few that have been criticized. I and mean, this is also something you should realize about Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim. Since the time they wrote it, scholars have been going through, going through it with like, what we call in English, a fine-tooth comb. They've been going through it very carefully. And some scholars have criticized some hadith. 
But all those scholars who criticized some hadith were uh, were responded to by other scholars and and shown that the conclusion of Imam Muslim or Imam Al Bukhari was uh, was correct. So, for example, Al Darqutni, Al Darqutni made some criticism. He's in fact probably the most uh, famous, uh, along with uh, Abu Ali Al Dimishqi Al Ghassani. Al-Darqutni, uh, he made some criticisms of, of Sahih al-Bukhari and Sahih Muslim. His criticisms are of two, two, two sides. And you'll note that neither one affects actually the authenticity of the hadith. Number one, Al-Darqutni said, well, if al-Bukhari and Muslim were taking the best hadith, then they should have included these hadith. And he wrote a book that these are some of the hadith that should have been included in Sahih al-Bukhari and Sahih Muslim. That's one of his criticisms, that they did they neglected some hadith that they considered to be, that Darqutni considered to be from the highest level. But that's not a criticism actually because as I said, neither Al-Bukhari or uh, Muslim had the intention to include all authentic hadith in their, in their collection. The second criticism that Darqutni had and his second book that he wrote on these, uh, on Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim, is that sometimes they would record a specific hadith with a certain chain, and Ad-Darqutni found the same hadith with a better chain. So he's saying that they should have narrated with this chain instead of that chain. So notice that Ad-Darqutni is not saying that those hadith are, are weak. And the hadith that he criticized, he's not saying that they are weak. But he is basically talking about this, not except for, he criticized about 210 hadith, and except for one of them, all of the discussion is about the isnad and the quality of the isnad, and that there's a better isnad uh, that the uh, Bukhari and Muslim should have, uh, should have used. So therefore, the scholars of the hadith to be very careful. They say that all of the authentic, all of the hadith in, in Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim are authentic without any doubt. And they leave some possibility for those hadith which are, which are uh, have been criticized. Now, as I as I started to talk about, this brings us to the point: that what should be our view towards uh, Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim, towards the two Sahihain? In other words, what is the level of knowledge that it is considered in Islamic law? Is it considered something confirmed, like the Quran? Or is it something less than that? If someone says he doesn't believe a hadith in, in Sahih Bukhari, does this mean that we accept his ijtihad, or does this actually make him to be from amongst Ahlul Bid'ah? So if we study what the ulama said about uh, uh, Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim, what they concluded, is that Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim are two uh, collections of hadith, the ones who collected then claim that all the hadith in this collection are authentic. And the Ummah has accepted their uh, decision. In other words, the scholars, all the scholars of hadith during their time agreed with them. So therefore there's a ijma'ah or a consensus by the scholars of the hadith. And therefore the Ummah has to follow their ijma'ah. What that means is that there is ijma'ah of the Muslim Ummah that all of the hadith in Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim are authentic. So that means, that the, again still brings us, what does that mean with respect to the level of end, the level of uh, knowledge we have to accord these two uh, uh, books. There's two types of, uh, of end, or two, two levels of end and yaqini, 
ونز علم اليقيني الضروري If we say that something is علم اليقيني الضروري For example the Quran That means that every Muslim has to believe in it without any doubt And it is something should be obvious to every Muslim For example if, if we say that uh, a Muslim has to pray five times a day This is considered from those things which are علم اليقيني الضروري Because no Muslim should be ignorant of this fact And it's well established and there's no question about it. Okay. hadith, hadith which have been narrated by so many people in each chain, are of that type. And most of Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim is actually mutawatir in its meaning. Okay. Mutawatir in their meaning. Not necessarily mutawatir in their wording, but mutawatir in their meaning. But there's still some which are not mutawatir. What about these? Well, the next category after that, is what they call علم اليقيني النظري والنظري what this means is that it's not obvious to every Muslim that this is uh, definitive it needs some evidence استدلال it needs some investigation okay. and after that investigation is done then it is concluded that this is علم اليقيني And that investigation, for example, if there's ijma' of the ummah on something, and it's known that there's ijma' on something, then that thing becomes in al-yaqini al-nabari. So what this means is that we can drop the last two words, al-baruri al-nabari, they're not important, correct? It means that all of the hadith in Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim are considered by the ulama of hadith and the ulama of usul al-fiqh to be ilm al-yaqini. In other words, every Muslim has to believe in them. Every Muslim has to believe in them and cannot doubt them. As, the, as the, Imam Ibn Taymiyyah said, he quoted the hadith of the Prophet uh, that my ummah uh, umma will not agree on something which is dalala or something miscarried. So he says that since the ummah agrees upon Sahih al-Bukhari and Sahih Muslim. If anyone doubts the, these two books, then they are claiming that the Ummah is following something which is Dalala, and this is unacceptable. Okay, so every Muslim has to believe in the hadith of Sahih al-Bukhari and Sahih Muslim. Now there's some, uh, there's some exceptions to that, and those are those few hadiths that are, that are criticized by Dar Qutni and others. They are well known amongst the scholars of hadith. And also there's the other exception are what are known in Sahih al-Bukhari is al-Mu'alaqat. Uh, we don't have much... Is it the time for it? There is no time for it. <laughs> no, last time I understood. Mu'alaqat are hadith that do not have the complete ismail. And either one half, the first half, or the second half, or the first third, or the, the last third, are missing from the uh, from the Islam. Well, it's very rare to find this in, in Sahih Muslim. There's maybe four hadith which are mu'alaq in Sahih Muslim. Now, if we go back to the title of Sahih Bukhari's work, it says, Al-Jama' al-Sahih al-Musnad, meaning that every hadith in Sahih Bukhari that has the complete chain, al-Musnad means it is Muslim. متصل and مرفوع the chain is unbroken and it goes all the way back to the predecessor so every hadith in Sahih Bukhari which is has an unbroken chain and goes back to the Prophet this is Sahih for sure 
this is from those which I said are in al-yaqini al-nadari. Okay, but unfortunately in Sahih Bukhari, al-Bukhari used a method or he used the mu'alaqat a lot. Well, the reason he used the mu'alaqat <coughs> is that, well, there's many reasons why he used <laughs> One reason is that sometimes he did not give the whole chain because it was al-Bukhari style that he just takes part of the hadith sometimes and put it under a certain uh, chapter. Okay, if there's a long hadith and only part of it is relevant to a certain chapter, he'll just record that part. And he'll record the rest of the hadith some other place. So instead of always putting the complete isnad, he would just put it once and the rest of the time he would put it in mu'alaq form. Okay, that's one reason he did it. Another reason he did it is because sometimes the hadith does not meet his standards for Sahih al-Bukhari. Okay. The hadith might still be authentic. The hadith might still be Sahih, but it doesn't meet the high standards of Sahih al-Bukhari. So therefore, al-Bukhari records the hadith in mu'alaq form. Well, concerning <coughs> these hadith, since uh, Hamid wants me to discuss it, I'm not going to discuss it in detail. We also have to divide these hadith into two tests. One is the type in which the Al-Bukhari uses what is known as the Sigat al-Jizm. Yani he uses a definitive term. Uh, for example, he uses the term the Prophet said, or the Prophet did. If he uses this term, and if he uses what is known as Sigat al-Jizm, then that, that hadith is considered authentic in Al-Bukhari's eyes. In other words, Al-Bukhari, he would not use that form if he did not consider that hadith authentic. So we consider also those hadith authentic. If he uses another form which is called the Sivat al-Tamrid, which is similar to the passive voice in English, like it is narrated that the Prophet said, or it is narrated the Prophet did. Okay. This doesn't say anything from Al-Bukhari's view. The hadith could still be sahih, it might be da'if. So you might find hadith which are da'if <coughs> inside Sahih al-Bukhari. You might find hadith which are weak inside Sahih al-Bukhari. If you do, they will be from the mu'alaqat and they will be put in the form of Sigat al-Tamrid. Most of those hadith are still authentic that are in that form. But there are few that are, that are uh, da'if or weak. And usually he puts it in the chapter heading, not actually in the text of the hadith. But he puts the mu'alaqat in the chapter heading. For example, <coughs> he has a chapter, and this is all there is to the chapter, the heading. It says al-bab, yani chapter, whoever uh, breaks his fast during the day of Ramadan without a valid reason, then he will never be able to make up for it, even if he fasts, yani, uh, forever, but, or for a year, some ulama explain it. This uh, this is narrated by other people as a hadith. Al-Bukhari just puts it as a chapter heading and doesn't say it's a hadith or not. Okay. This particular hadith is ba'ith. So Al-Bukhari did not mention it and did not give it to Islam because it is not uh, meeting his standards. <coughs> so when we say that a Muslim has to believe in all the hadith of uh, Sahih al-Bukhari, we are taking out those ma'alaqahs. Well, if you do not know which are the mu'alaqat or not, this means you don't have the right to judge uh, <laughs> al-Bukhari. Of the mu'alaqat? Uh, well, some of the mu'alaqat, they are 
the, the complete chain is found inside Sahih Bukhari someplace else. Okay. That's the majority of them. So we're talking about <coughs> from Mu'alaqat, from uh, the Prophet from the Tabi'in and from the Sahaba. We're talking about a number around 500. But they are not all hadith of the Prophet As I said, some of them are from the Sahaba and some of them are from the, <coughs> from the Tabi'in. And of those 500, as I said, very few of them are weak. Most of them are Sahih or Hasan. <coughs> so the scholars, when they say that this is Ilm and Yaqini and Nadari, they are ex- ex- excluding these Ma'alaqat of Sahih Bukhari. Or maybe if you need more explanation in the question and answer, we can, uh, can mention that. Now, as I said, many scholars of hadith, or many people have criticized Sahih Muslim and Sahih Bukhari for different reasons. <coughs> Their criticism can be divided into, uh, or the, critis- the, the critics can be divided into two categories. One category are those people who, are, who have some knowledge about hadith. And the other category are those people who not, do not have knowledge about hadith. <coughs> With respect to those people who have uh, knowledge about uh, hadith, I already mentioned Abdur Qutni and some of the earlier, but their criticism really wasn't a heavy criticism. Uh, Ibn Hazm, uh, one from Spain, my home country, Ibn Hazm, he, he, he is one of the people who criticized uh, Sahih Muslim, and he said there are two fabricated hadith in Sahih Muslim. But uh, <coughs> his claims are very easily refuted, and uh, we have to keep in mind that Ibn Hazm sometimes his, uh, his judge, judgment in hadith is, is not acceptable. Because Ibn Hazm did not travel uh, outside, he did not travel to the eastern part of the Muslim world. In fact, he never made Hajj. That's why if you read Al-Mahalla, his book on Fiqh, he gives some very strange fatwas about Hajj, because he has no idea even what it looks like in, uh, <laughs> in Mecca. Also, with respect to Hadith, he did not travel to the eastern part of the uh, to the eastern part of the Muslim world. So therefore, he did not get, uh, there were many Hadith that he was not aware of, but he, he did not receive. He even went so far as to say that uh, Abu Isa al-Tirmidhi, everyone here knows Abu Isa al-Tirmidhi, uh, he's the one who compiled Sunan al-Tirmidhi. Now, does everyone know him? And another one, his name is al-Baghawi. Al-Baghawi is, uh, he has a famous tafsir, he also uh, collected a large work called Sharh al-Sunnah. He's a very famous scholar of hadith. Ibn Hazm said about both of them that they are majhul. And because he doesn't know them, I never heard of these people, so therefore they are unknown narrators. So sometimes yani, his judgment in hadith is not, uh, is not reliable. More recently though, and perhaps more, more damaging, <coughs> are the critiques of, uh, or the criticism of uh, Muhammad Nasruddin al-Albani, especially with respect to uh, Sahih Muslim. Now there's one thing you should keep in mind, and this is amazing that uh, Al-Albani does not uh, consider this point. <coughs> one thing you should keep in mind about uh, Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim, in particular Sahih Muslim since uh, Al-Albani attacked it a lot. Sometimes he takes a hadith and he discusses the isnad, and he says that this isnad is weak because of such and such narrative. Now, sometimes he made the mistake that he relied upon one source in his uh, grading of the narrator, and this is a book by Ibn Hajr called uh, 
And if you go into a great hadith, and as a specialist should, you should not rely on Tahrib al-Tahdeeb because he just gives you a summary. You have to go to other books like Tahdeeb al-Tahdeeb by uh, Ibn Hadith. Because some narrators are acceptable in certain circumstances, but they are not susceptible in others. For example, uh, there is a narrator by the name of Hussein, and there is also uh, Imam Zahri. Hussein is a fiqh, he is trustworthy. You will find his hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari and in Sahih Muslim. And Zahri, of course, is very well known as a good hadith. But in, in Sahih al-Bukhari or Sahih Muslim, you'll never find any hadith from Hussein on the authority of Zahri. Because when Hussein studied with Zahri, he was very young. And at that time, he was not proficient in hadith. So therefore, they do not accept the hadith of Hussein on the authority of Zahri. So sometimes the person is thaqa or trustworthy in himself, but not always. Like as I said in the Khatira, so-called Khatira Bani Fajr, some people did not believe me when I <laughs> said what I said. And some narrators, they begin to make ikhtilat, they lost their memory. So they are thaqa for a certain period of time, but after that time, they are no longer considered authentic. So if you have narrators narrating from them after that time, the narration is not the but if you have narrators narrating from them before that time, the uh, hadith are acceptable. So, you cannot go to a book like Taqrib al-Tahdeeb and make a serious study of hadith, especially when you're talking about hadith, uh, for example, Sahih Muslim. And this is one of the mistakes that Al-Albani has made with respect to Sahih uh, Muslim. He just took the conclusion of Ibn Hajr without studying the narrators in detail. Another problem, and this is perhaps an even bigger problem, is that... <coughs> Many times, uh, Imam Muslim did not record the best isnad that he had for the hadith. So Al-Albani today may look at the hadith and he'll look at the isnad and he'll say this, this isnad is weak. And he'll reject the hadith. This happened during the time of Imam Muslim. Uh, Abu Zura, the one I referred to earlier, before uh, Imam Muslim gave him the book to, to review it, he criticized some of the chains in, uh, in Sahih Muslim. So someone went to an Imam Muslim and asked him about it. He said, Abu Zara criticized you for using this chain instead of that chain. So Imam Muslim's answer is very, uh, very interesting. Uh, there's something, by the way, among the uh, ulama's hadith. They like to have a chain which they call Ali, as opposed to a chain which they call uh, Nabi. Ali means the shortest chain. They like to have the shortest chains chain because they feel they're closer to the Prophet in that way. And the closer they are to the Prophet, the closer they are in the chain to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the closer to the revelation. So when Imam Muslim was asked about some chains that he used, he said that I put those chains, I use those chains in the book because they are shorter, Ali. And I knew that wouldn't harm anything because these hadith are well known amongst the scholars of hadith to be sahih. Now in other words, he knows all the authentic chains, but he didn't record them. Because these, these hadith are so well known amongst the scholars of hadith to be authentic, that he could put the shortest chain even if it's weaker. Now you have to keep in mind that the Bukhari and Muslim, they did not record all of the, all of the, the chains that they knew. The hadith of Inna al-Amal ibn Niyad, from uh, Umar ibn Khattab. After Umar, after Umar two, <coughs> two links after him, 
يحيى بن سعيد القبطان You'll find the hadith of Inna Al-Amal Binyat in Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim with 23 different things. And one of the scholars, after them, made a collection of all of the, all of the chains of this hadith just from uh, Yahya bin Sayyid al-Qabtan. And he said there's more than 700 chains from Yahya bin Sayyid al-Qabtan. But of course al-Bukhari and Muslim are not going to write all 700 chains. Otherwise, it's not going to be muqtafat. No one's going to be able to carry it. <laughs> carry it with them. I mean, that's one of the considerations. So when we look at it now, so many years later, and say, well, look, this hadith, the chain is weak. While, uh, while Imam Muslim at that time is saying, well, these hadith are so well known that even if we put a weaker chain, it's okay because we want to make it uh, chain shorter. And we have to keep in mind this, this consideration. So these hadith are the ones that the scholars at that time agreed upon. And we cannot just look at one chain of Sahih Muslim and say that this hadith is weak. Another mistake Al-Albani made is he takes one isnad, which is Al-Layf, and Abu Zubair, and Jabir. And there's about uh, 31 hadith in uh, Sahih Muslim with this chain. And he concludes that all of them are weak. The reason he concludes that they are weak is because he says that Abu Zubair is mudallis. And he is someone who uses the term an uh, incorrectly. Now how can I explain that very quickly without... Uh, <laughs> what he's saying is that when Abu Zubair says an Jabr, it means he did not hear directly from Jabr. So therefore the chain is, unbroke, uh, the chain is uh, broken and we cannot accept it. Now all of the scholars of Hadith at that time never included Abu Zubair as someone who commits tablis. Now they were very careful about who commits Tablis and they tried to study and find those narrators who commit uh, Tablis. None of them ever mentioned that Abu Zubair is from those people who commit Tablis. Until whom? Well, An-Nasai is one. He's the only scholar from that time that says that Abu Zubair committed Tablis. And it was based on an interpretation of something that he... Uh, an incident that he... Uh, that he narrated. When... Uh, when Abu Zubair, he gave a book of hadith to another scholar, his name is Shu'bah. Uh, he gave him a book of hadith from Jabir. The hadith contains, the book contains 700 hadith from Jabir. This type of giving of hadith is called Munawala, which uh, if you do not give it with permission to narrate the hadith, it is not considered an authentic way to pass on hadith. So he gave him this book, and Shu'bah asked him, did you hear all of these hadith from Jabir? He said, no, some of them I heard directly from him, some from other people. So he told him, okay, tell me which ones you heard directly. So he sat down and he told him. Okay. And the say concludes from this that maybe Abu Zubair committed to believe. Well, this is not uh, clear enough proof because he's not narrating on the authority of Jagat hadith that he did not hear. This is a, a type of manawala without a jaga or without permission to narrate. The second one to say that Abu Zubair committed to believe is Ibn Hazm again. And the third one to say it is Al-Albani. And as I said, he uses this to, uh, to reject about 31 hadith from Sahih Muslim. <coughs> we have to keep in mind, as I said, that not all of the chains that they knew are, are recorded in Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim. There are groups of work known as Al- uh, the type of book is called uh, Maqsakhraj. 
Well, Mustakhraj, what the one who makes Mustakhraj does is, for example, he takes Sahih Muslim and he tries to bring exactly the same hadith through different things. Either from uh, Muslim's uh, teacher or his teacher and so forth, back to the Sahaba, back to the Prophet. And there are 25 books of Mustakhraj on the two Sahih. And there are 25 different scholars gathered together, different chains, for the same hadith you find inside of the Prophet. One of them, in one of those books in Mustakhraj, you will find 25,000 different chains for the hadith inside of So when we, uh, nowadays, when we try to criticize, I will conclude, inshallah, and I will forget about the other points that I was uh, going to discuss, because I think I hear them warming up the engine on my train uh, right now. <laughs> and uh, the things we have to, uh, things we should conclude concerning Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim, is that first of all, our judgment concerning them has to be based on what the scholars of hadith themselves say about Well, the scholars of hadith are agreed that all of the hadith in Sahih Bukhari, all of the Musnad hadith, we take out the Mu'alaqat, all of the Musnad hadith in Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim are authentic, and that they are at the level of ilm al-yaqini, either a Bururi or a Nabari, meaning every Muslim has to believe in them, and as Allah, the Muhaddith of uh, India of the last century, he said if anyone criticizes, you may study the hadith and criticize uh, the hadith uh, as a scholarly work, but he said, he concludes that since there's ijma' on the acceptability of this hadith, and we have lost many of the information that uh, Al-Bukhari and Muslim had to grade this hadith in Sahih, anyone who, grade, who considers this, any hadith in there as uh, as unauthentic, he is committing a bid'ah and he is not following the way of the believers. In other words, he is not following the ijma'ah. Hamid left. Hamid always leaves at the wrong time. <laughs> Looking for a taxi for me? I hope he has better luck than when I was in Mecca trying to get a taxi to fire. The, the, the question from the sisters is can I say something about the uh, I'm repeating it Could you come in from the long time and you come back with the answer I'm coming yeah this is what this is what we assume but you might be planning on how to delay my trip also. you have to uh, <laughs> Regarding Riyadh al-Salihin, it is not a, uh, a source book of hadith. What I mean by that, when we say, when we talk about the source books of hadith, they are the ones originally collected by scholars of hadith with their chains back to the Prophet. This is a book from a much later scholar, a scholar of hadith, his name is Nawi. And what he did is he, uh, he went through the books of hadith, he went through the source books of hadith, and he collected some hadith. He took from, uh, but not like Hatib uh, al and he took any very, uh, <laughs> very specifically, he took hadith from Sahih al-Bukhari and Sahih Muslim and Sunan Abu Dawood, and he did standard collections of hadith, and he organized them in a, in a way which is very nice, and he put some uh, Quranic verses related to the specific topic, and almost all of the hadith in, uh, in Riyadh al-Salihin are authentic. There's about 20 hadith or so that have been uh, criticized by some scholars, like Al-Arna'ud, and uh, other scholars, but in general when you take hadith from 
Salihin, you can be fairly certain that he's authentic. As I said, Nawi was one of the great, although he was the latest scholar, he was one of the great scholars of Hadith. We have about five minutes, is it? Oh, we have about ten minutes. I hope the brother who uh, takes me there is going to drive like the brother who brought me here. Not less than 80 miles per hour, regardless of who is in front of you, if there's any. <laughs> Yeah, you, you all know the technical company that I'm talking about, huh? <laughs> one, yeah. I'm, I'm asking about uh, those hadiths being uh, how was it, to, to say it in English? Oh, weak. Weak, <laughs> weakened by uh, uh, Albani. Is this from the Muallaqat in Bukhari or some of them from the Muslims? I get confused whether his weight is being confined just to the Muallaqat where there is a ground. The ones I was talking about and the are from second. Sahih Muslim. But Sahih Muslim, as I said, there's only like four hadith which are mu'alaqah. So he's talking about from the from the from the basics of the book. He's criticizing hadith that uh, ulama have agreed upon or are authentic. Do you recommend all the books of Ibn al Qayyim to be read? Ibn al Qayyim? Mm-hmm. Yes. Ibn al Qayyim al Jawziyah. If you're if you're he has some books which if your Arabic isn't good, you'll still be able to understand them, like Zal Mahad. He has other books, your Arabic better be good to really understand them. <laughs> what was it, the last comment? And he has two styles of writing. Uh-huh. I don't know if you noticed this in Ibn Qayyim. He has a style which is like his Sheikh Ibn Taymiyyah. Very clear, very simple. You'll find that in Zal Mahad, Alam Al-Muaqiyin, Al-Munar Al-Nubayt. And this is very simple for anyone to, to read and benefit a lot from. He has another style, which is, uh, uh, yani, uh, more adib, yani, more, uh, literary style. Mm-hmm. And also he is, he, uh, you know, he was influenced by many of the Sufi shuk that time. Mm-hmm. So he has also some, sometimes his writings you have to know what he's talking about to understand. So if your Arabic is good, you will also benefit a great deal from those books. But if you're someone like me, you should stick to the, <laughs> Uh, are there regal uh, isnad until now having the uh, same uh, characteristics? Uh, characteristics? Uh, yes, are there? And, yes. And it is, it is, uh, and you know what their names or addresses now? Their names? Who's name? I mean, people now. People? Some names are about. Uh, Please. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the isnad. As as a as a technical way of transmitting hadith, it died out uh, somewhat in the fifth century, but it was still used uh, to pass on books through what is known as ijazah. And I will not go into that in detail. But there's still many hadith which some scholars have that they tra- transmitted to their students from the time of the Prophet until now. For example, Abdul Aziz bin Baz can give you some hadith with this man from himself back to the Prophet. Al-Alawi al-Malaki, the father of the one now in Mecca, he was also Muhajjah, he, he could, I believe he's dead now. Uh, he, he also had Isnad from himself back to the Prophet. Assalamu alaikum. Inshallah, this is the last question. I'll make a quick one. What do you think of the translators who use, I'm speaking of the English translation of the Hadith by Sahih al-Bukhari, who don't use the right Isnad, use the last narrator. Oh, you mean they cut this now? Right, they cut it very short. Uh, I'm talking about the English version. Yeah. Yeah. Is this uh, from the Mahalafat? 
Should we take it authentic or what? You know, for the sake of the English-speaking uh, Muslims, uh, shouldn't the translators use the right Islam instead of the last one? Yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would not. I would not worry too much about the uh, mu'alaqat in Sahih Bukhari. They said mostly they're from the Tabi'in, from the Sahaba. You look at the change. There is no change means from Malikah? No, not that there is no change, but... Uh, well, the best way, by the way, is to look at one of two books. Either Fath al-Bari or, or Tabliq al-Ta'aliq by Ibn Hajib. Both of them are by Ibn Hajib. Tabliq al-Ta'aliq, uh, Ibn Hajib took all the mu'alaqat out of Sahih al-Bukhari and he put them into one collection and he discussed all of them in that book. It's five volumes, published now five volumes, but you cannot count the first one because it's the life of Ibn Hajar and the life of Al-Bukhari. <laughs> but there's four volumes and he discusses all the Mu'alaqah. Otherwise, in Fath al-Bari, when he discusses the Hadith, also he discusses them. And so for those of you who have access to Arabic, uh, it doesn't tell them so. The work of Siyoti, Siyoti who has written on almost every topic under the sun. <laughs> if you go to Muhammad Tuqan, he can give you, mashallah, books from Siyoti. You cannot imagine anyone even thinking of writing on these subjects. Like in, in Hadith, he was, uh, he wasn't very strict when it came to grading Hadith. So in other words, if, uh, if the Suyuti says the Hadith is Sahir uh, or Hassan, it may not actually be Sahir or Hassan, because he was a little bit black. But if he says it's Da'if, then most likely it is Da'if. Muhani is similar. How about when we use the hadith? Should we? Uh, wouldn't uh, the last question? Be, sorry for, for the interruption. Well, uh, let me just a minute. Before you ask, let me say salamu alaikum to you all now. So I have a free way to the car. <laughs> <laughs> okay, have a nice trip. I'm planning on buying uh, the uh, Albani. Do you recommend or not using uh, the Albani? Uh, he probably will say yes. Yeah. <laughs> but do you recommend taking Albani seriously and if not, which source we should use to pinpoint the uh, the weekend uh, hadith? I think it's important to you know <laughs> separate the weekend hadith from the strong hadith. I, I think there is no question that Muhammad Nasruddin Albani is the greatest hadith alive today. There's no question about that. I mean, just because he has uh, some mistakes, especially with respect to Sahih Bukhari, he has also some other mistakes in, in other words. You know, that it's according to the Ummah, I mean, that all of the hadith in Sahih Bukhari and Muslim are often, he is going against the Lijma'ah, uh, actually. He has another uh, characteristic, which isn't very good on his part, is he has a tendency some, sometimes to rely on manuscripts that have not really been uh, certified to be authentic. And he used lots of manuscripts sometimes, which the other scholars are not familiar with, and they're not sure whether those manuscripts are, are sound. But in general, his grading of hadith is uh, in accordance with most of the ulama, and he doesn't uh, disagree with the ulama in general, except for when it comes to these hadith and Sahih Muslim and some others. So in general, his uh, is very good, and you can benefit a lot from his work. Of course,